0: Hi friends, Um, thank you so much for inviting me to preach. Uh, Thank you so much to Pastor Young and Bora and to the leadership of New Life uh, for inviting me to preach. I always uh, consider it a real great honor and a privilege to be able to uh, open God's Word with you. One of the greatest memories of my life is uh, many years ago when Pastor Young and I used to lead a small group together. And I look back with very fond memories uh, to those times. We had no idea what we were doing, but it was fun. And we're both still Christians, so it's okay. Um, Well, I love coming to new life. Uh, This is a church where I met God, it's a church where I met my now wife, and it's a church where um, I met my closest lifelong friends, Um, so I have um, such high honor for this church, and I'm so thankful for all that God is doing um, in the wonderful people here at New Life. Uh, Well, friends, we've just had the Bible read for us. I'm going to ask you to keep your Bible open there at Luke chapter 12 as we look at this passage together uh, from verse 13 to 21. But before we do that, why don't we pray? and ask God for help. I'm actually going to invite you to pray, um, and then I'll pray. So why don't you pray that God would speak to you through this passage today, um, and then I'll pray for us, and then we'll look at this. Let's pray. loving father we thank you so much for giving us your word the bible and we thank you that it shows us the truth about you and the truth about us and that it shows us what you want from us father as we look at this portion of your word today we ask that what we know not you would teach us that what we have not you would give us and what we are not that you would make us and we ask this in jesus name amen Well, before I became a Christian, I used to work at the casino. Uh, At the casino, I worked very closely with VIPs, and my role at the casino was to look after the most wealthiest of our gamblers. During my years of working there, I got to know a Mr. Sam very well. Mr. Sam was a millionaire. He was a property investor, and he would spend five or six days a week at the casino every week, gambling, eating, drinking, socializing, attending events, and so forth. Uh, 50 years ago, Mr. Sam immigrated to Sydney, and when he came, he came with nothing no money, no friends, no possessions, no plans. After getting married, he started a small business which grew and grew. As his wealth grew, he decided to purchase a house, and then another one, and then another one. Within a decade, Mr. Sam had for himself quite a portfolio, many houses. Well, um, since he was always at the casino, I got to spend lots of time with Mr. Sam, and every single time we chat, he'd always tell me the same thing. He'd always be telling me, Matt, invest in properties. He's like, Matt, buy houses. Mr. Sam believed that the best way to get rich was to buy houses. That was his investment. He would invest in properties, and that's how he got rich. He would get rich, and that's what made him happy. Or did it? We're gonna return to Mr. Sam's story a little bit later. But, friends, uh, in the eyes of the world, Mr. Sam is very rich. He's extremely wealthy. Why? Because he invested in properties. New life. God calls his people to live to a different standard. We read in today's passage that we are to be rich as well. We are to be rich, not in dollars. But rich toward God. So friends, let me ask you, how can we be rich toward God? Our passage today, it tells us to invest: not invest in properties, but to invest in eternal things, things that will never fade away. Friends, so as we look at this short parable in Luke today, we're going to do three things together. Firstly, we'll examine the story, see what it says. Secondly, we're going to see what this parable teaches us. And thirdly, we're going to see how we apply this passage to our lives today. Observations, interpretation, application. What does it say? What does it mean? And what does it mean for me today? Let's get into it, friends. In this part of Luke, Jesus is going around and is teaching his listeners how to live faithful lives. Jesus is giving them teachings and warnings about the Christian life. Suddenly, He's distracted by someone from the crowd. Look with me in your Bibles at verse 13. Luke chapter 12, look with me at verse 13. Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Someone in the crowd wants Jesus to help this guy out, sort out a domestic disagreement, a domestic dispute. It's not shocking though, because back then it was very normal for rabbis to act as judges and arbitrators. So this man rightly recognizes that Jesus is is a rabbi and he rightly asks Jesus for help. Well, Jesus actually denies this man's request for help, but noticing the interruption, Jesus uses this as a great opportunity to teach the people about greed. Jesus begins to teach these people about greed. Look with me in your Bibles at verse 14 and 15. Friend, he said to them, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told them, watch out and be on guard against all greed, because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. And then Jesus goes on to tell them a story of a man, a rich man, a rich man who was a fool in God's eyes. In this parable that Jesus tells, we hear about a wealthy man. This man has a good harvest. It says here that his land was very, quote, productive. He had productive land. In the NIV, it says he yielded an abundant harvest. He produced a good crop. Notice, there's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing immoral. There's nothing greedy. This farmer just happens to have a really fruitful harvest. It's happy days. But then this rich man encounters a problem. His problem is this. He doesn't have enough room to store his fruitful harvest. So he thinks about it, and he comes up with a great idea. He goes, ah, I know what I'm going to do. I am going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones. I'm going to build bigger barns. That's what he says. Look with me at verse 16 to 18. Then he, Jesus, told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do, since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Friends, notice, up until this part of the parable, this rich man is blameless. He's quite blameless. He happens to have an enormous harvest, uh, and very prudently, very wisely, he decides to store it away in his barns. Up until now, if anything, this farmer is seen as wise, hardworking, prudent. We come to verse 19, and a new character enters the story, and this character's name is Greed. This man has a great harvest. He says he's going to build bigger barns to store away all his crops. We come to verse 19, and his selfish greed is revealed. Look with me at verse 19. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. That is his goal. He wants to be rich so that he can give it away to his community. No. He wants to be rich so he can provide for all the widows in town. No. He wants to be rich so that he alone can be comfortable for a long, long time. Look at what he says. He says, Take life easy. Eat, drink, enjoy yourself. Friends, at this stage, God enters the scene. God comes to this man and he has something to say to him. Look with me at verse 20. But God said to him, You fool! This very night, your life is demanded of you and the things you have prepared. Whose will they be? In response to this man's selfish motive, God calls him a fool. Now, that word fool is an interesting word, and it's primarily an Old Testament term. Now, in the Old Testament, whenever the word fool is used, it describes someone who lives his life, firstly, not caring about God, It describes someone, secondly, who lives life without any wisdom, and it describes someone, thirdly, who lives his life in a self-destructive way. So, God comes to this man and he tells him what he is, a godless, self-destructive fool. And then God tells him that he will die tonight, and then he asks him the rhetorical question. These things that you have prepared, when you die, whose will they be? In other words, when you die, who's going to get all your wealth? Who's going to get your money? And the answer is, not him. Anyone but him, because he's dead. And then, Jesus concludes this parable with a summary and a warning to all his listeners. Listeners back then and listeners here today. Look at what he says, verse 21. That's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Friends, what we have before us is a very clear teaching from Jesus. He's telling us, don't try and be rich toward yourself, but rather, be rich toward God. He's telling us, don't invest in temporary things, invest in eternal things. So friends, firstly, that's the passage. That's what it says. Secondly, What does this passage teach us? Friends, I think this passage teaches us two very clear things. Firstly, it teaches us something about wealth. And secondly, it teaches us something about life. Firstly, it teaches us something about the nature of wealth. And secondly, it teaches us something about the nature of life. Firstly, wealth. This passage speaks to us about wealth, possessions, money, belongings, etc., etc. This passage, you'll notice, it doesn't condemn wealth. So if you're rich and you feel guilty, stop it. You don't have to feel guilty. This passage doesn't condemn wealth. Rather, it condemns greed. It condemns self-centered ambition. It condemns self-centered living. Wealth, in and of itself, is not evil. It's how you use your wealth, which is the main issue. And the question of this parable is, will you use your wealth for good Or will you use your wealth for evil? Will you use your wealth for your own selfish desires? Or will you use it for God and for other people and for eternal things? Notice this rich man in the story. Notice that he didn't acquire his harvest immorally. He didn't take shortcuts. He didn't cheat anyone. He wasn't immoral about it. He simply had a good year. As a farmer, he simply had a good harvest. And then... Very prudently, he decides to build a storehouse so that he can store away what had been provided for him by God. This rich man, his big problem was his attitude, not his money. His big problem was his attitude, how he viewed what had become his. His big problem wasn't his money, it was his greed. In verses 17 to 19, in three short verses, six times he speaks about what I will do as if he owns it all. That's his assumption. Moreover, he speaks about my crops, my barns, my grains, my goods. This guy is all about himself. He is greedy. God didn't condemn this man's wealth. God condemned this man's greed. This parable reminds us, don't be rich toward yourself, but be rich toward God. Church, I think our great temptation is to build our kingdoms here on earth and to live ultimately for ourselves. I think the great temptation for any Christian is to live our lives with me at the center, my securities, my comfort, my future, my possessions, my family, my children, their future. But the Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christian is called upon by God to build His kingdom. His kingdom, which will last forever. Not our temporary and pathetic kingdoms here on earth. This passage tells us, don't invest in your own kingdom. Invest in God's kingdom. Uh, Matthew's gospel reminds us of this, where Jesus says, don't store up your treasures here on earth, but store it up in heaven. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Apostle Paul tells us in Corinthians, you'll reap what you sow. That's what he says. So if you invest in heaven, you'll reap a great heavenly eternal harvest. But if you invest in temporary and fleeting things, your return will be temporary and fleeting at best. So firstly, this passage teaches us something about the nature of wealth. Secondly, this passage teaches us something about the the nature of life, human life. This passage reminds us that we are not in control of our own lives. We've been in lockdown for ages. If you're a brother and you've got your hair cut booked, you know what I'm talking about. If you miss your friends, you know what I'm talking about. If you miss singing songs of praise at church, you know what I'm talking about. Friends, if anything, surely this COVID pandemic has just reminded us that we ought to be a bit more humble than how we live our lives, that we're actually not in control of our lives. Friends, this passage reminds us that we're not in control of our own lives. This rich man, right, if he had a choice, if it was up to him, he would choose to live a long life and enjoy his wealth for a long time. Because look at what he says. His desire is to eat, drink, and enjoy himself. Little did he know that he was going to die tonight. Friends, none of us know when we're going to die. Let me ask you, what if God came to you and told you that you have 12 hours left to live? Think about that. Christian, let me ask you, what if God came to you and said that you have one week left to live, one month left on earth? I wonder, would you have any regrets about the priorities of your life? This parable reminds us, that the best way to prepare for our death is not to be rich toward ourselves but to be rich toward God. The best way that you and I can prepare for eternity is to invest not in temporal things that will one day fade away moth, rust, theft but to invest in things that will be eternal things that will never fade away. This passage reminds us that you and me we're not in control of our own lives. So, it will be very wise for us to obey the one who is in control of our lives. So friends, this passage teaches us really two things. Firstly, about wealth. Secondly, about life. Thirdly, how does this apply to our lives today? What does it look like for you and me as Christians in Sydney in 2021 to re-rich toward God? What does it look like practically for us to invest in eternal things. Uh, Well, uh, the great David Cook, uh, who was um, the former moderator of the PCA a few years ago, he was uh, my my principal at Bible College when I studied there, David Cook, he writes a very helpful article when he's giving commentary on Luke chapter 16 about the story of the rich man and the beggar Lazarus. Mind you, it's not this story, it's a different story. Um, But he's writing comments about that. And in an article, he writes this. The rich man in the parable made all sorts of investments in land and crops, but he made none in Lazarus. Lazarus alone was eternal, but he made no investment in him. People are eternal. People alone are eternal. We are called to invest in the eternal health of people. Your cash, your portfolio, your home, your car, it won't be there. But people will be there. To store up treasures in heaven means investing in the eternal welfare of people. Church, as Christians, we are called to invest in the eternal welfare of people. How do we do this? Let me offer some suggestions. I think one of the best ways that we can invest in the eternal welfare of people is to share the gospel with them to tell people about the story of Jesus, about what God has done through Christ for our salvation. Share the gospel with non-believers. Friends, I wonder, through lockdown, if you've made any concrete plans about your own personal evangelism. Christian, I wonder if through the months of lockdown you've been thinking and praying about the person you want to invite to church. I wonder if you've called someone and had a meaningful conversation about the gospel and how it changed your life. Friends, I wonder when the last time was when you shared your testimony. I think one of the best ways we can invest in the eternal welfare of people is to share the gospel with them. Love them. Commit to them. Pray for them. Pray with them. Read the scriptures with them. Open up our hearts and open up our homes to them. We invite them to church. We invite them into our lives. We invite them into small groups. And... If, by the grace of God, they become Christians, we walk with them. We train them. We make effective and healthy disciples out of them. We teach them to evangelize and to make more disciples. Disciples making disciples, making disciples, making disciples for the glory of God. Maybe you're sitting there at home thinking, yes, preacher, I love Jesus, and yes, I believe the gospel, and yes, I want to evangelize, but where do I start? What do I do? What do I say? I don't have all the answers. I'm kind of scared. I'm a little bit socially awkward. Friends, if that's you, let me encourage you, now that lockdown is over, meet with them. Buy them a gift, a Bible. Buy them a Bible as a gift, give it to them, and say, hey, I would love to read this with you. Are you free next Tuesday? Meet with them in your home, at a cafe, at a pub, at a park, doesn't matter. And just read through the Gospels with them. Just reading and asking questions like, hey, what do you think this says? Hey, what do you think this says about God? Hey, what do you think this says about our response to God? Friends, in my experience, one of the best ways to share the Gospel with a friend is to open God's Word and read it together with them. I mean, our words, they're okay sometimes, but... God's words never fail, and they never return to him empty. Friends, I wonder if you've got names written down in your prayer journal of people that you want to buy a Bible for and read it with. Read God's word with them. Friends, another great way to share the gospel with a friend is actually hospitality. Uh, now that lockdown is over, we can legally invite people over to our houses in small groups. One of the best ways that Christians have always shared the gospel is through hospitality. There's a special thing that happens when you invite someone over and you cook them a meal. There's something happens in their hearts when you open up your home and you invite them into your life. They can meet your kids. They can see the messiness of your life and they can feel your love. And you then have a great opportunity to tell them, hey, I love you because God loved me first. Let me tell you about it. Friends, what are some ways we can invest in eternity? Evangelism. Telling people about Jesus. Telling people about His salvific love for them and that they need to respond to Him. If you're a Christian here today, church, if you know The love of God shown to you through Christ. And if you believe what the Bible says is true, then you must, must, must be prioritizing personal evangelism. God wants to save people in Sydney through you. The people that you love in your life, your workmates, your siblings, your family friends, your neighbors, the people that you love and care for that are actually on their way to hell right now because they're not saved by the blood of Christ. God wants to save them. How? Through you, through your personal witness, through your your, your verbal witness, through your explaining and proclaiming of the gospel. Church, be brave. You know, five minutes of awkwardness is not going to phase us in a billion years' time. Think about that. You and me are not going to look back in a trillion years' time and feel weird about sharing the gospel and being awkward for ten minutes. The thing with evangelism, friends, if you don't plan for it, it'll never happen. If you don't actively write things down, if you don't actively pursue individual people, it's never going to happen. It's very, very rare that your mate is going to come to you and say, hey, I want to be a Christian. Tell me more. It's never like that. Christians, we need to get active with evangelism. Friends, what are some other ways we can invest in heaven practically In addition to evangelism, praying. Praying is a great way we can invest in the eternal welfare of people. Church, let me ask you, who are you praying for in church? Who are you praying for in your life regularly, consistently? What are you praying for when you pray for them? Are you praying that they'll be healthy, they have a good job, and that their family will be well? Or are you praying gospel prayers? God, help them to know you, to love you to be passionate for you, to live sacrificially for you, help them to tell others about you, help them to grow in holiness. Praying is a great way to invest in heaven. I wonder what the attendance is like at your prayer meetings here at this church. That's a thing. When we examine our lives, we have time for a bunch of things. We have time for online shopping, We have time for Instagram. We have time to play sports and work. We have time to play video games. We have time to go to cafes, but we don't have time to pray. Church, if you don't make time to pray, you won't pray. Pray for your church. Pray for the gospel mission of your church. Pray for God's gospel mission in this great city. Pray that you and your church would have a powerful gospel impact here in Sydney and all over the globe. Pray that as a church, you guys will make heaps of disciples for our Lord Jesus Christ. Pray that as a church, you'll send out more cross-cultural missionaries out to the world. How can we invest in the eternal health of people, evangelism, prayer? Thirdly, we can give. Give. Give to the gospel cause. And I don't just mean your money. Give your life to the gospel course. Christian, I wonder if you've ever seriously thought about committing your life to become a cross-cultural missionary. Do you want to be an engineer? Great. Have you thought about being an engineer in South Africa? Do you want to be a teacher? Great. Have you thought about being a teacher in Cambodia? Do you want to be a doctor? Great. Have you thought about being a doctor in Canada? Christians, I think we need to step up our game with global gospel mission. One of the best ways of contributing to people's eternal health is by going to become a cross-cultural missionary. There are people out there who have never heard of Jesus, and I think it's not right that you and I can hear about Jesus multiple times a week when people haven't heard about Him once. Give your life to the gospel cause. Give of your money, of course. Give your time, your energy, your strength. Give your prayers. Contribute to the gospel course. Here at New Life, friends, as far as I'm aware, you guys are on about Jesus. New Life. For the glory of God in the gospel of grace. Be on about that vision. Make your church's vision your vision. Make your church's priorities your priorities. Sacrifice for it. Bend over backwards for it. Fast and pray for it. Pursue it. Because when you think in the scheme of a trillion years, what could be more important than people hearing the gospel? Give your life to the gospel cause. Get behind your church and your vision. Friends, as a pastor, let me tell you, there are way too many spectators at church. Christianity, you'll notice from the the Bible, Christianity is not a spectator sport. There are too many spectators, not enough participants. Church, let me urge you, If before lockdown, you were a bad church member, it's okay. Just repent and change. And once we open church, be an active church member. Be an encouraging church member. Be someone who attends and commits and serves. Christian, let me ask you, have you been attending New Life for ages, but you're still not serving? Surely, you can call someone and encourage them with the gospel. Anyone and everyone can serve. Serve. Stop just being a spectator. Get involved with the gospel mission and serve. Join your spiritual family as we seek to invest in the eternal welfare of people together. Together. How can we invest in eternity, friends? We can evangelize. We can pray. We can commit our lives. More than that, friends, we can be generous financially towards gospel mission. Give your money to things that will forward the gospel Give your money to things that will impact people's eternities. Find out people and organizations who are on about spreading the gospel and fund them. Do you have a compassion child? If not, get one for the gospel. There are lots and lots of missionaries and mission agencies and seminaries around the world who could really, really use your financial generosity. Trust me. And as as Asian Christians in Sydney, we are some of the wealthiest people in the world. We have so we have packages coming home every day, right? We have money flowing out of our eyes. We have so much money. We have so many resources. I wonder, as Christians, how we're leveraging our resources for the glory of God in the gospel of grace. At the end of the famous movie Schindler's List, there's a great scene, but it's a sad scene. At the end of this great movie Schindler's List, there's a heart wrenching scene in which the main character, Oscar Schindler, where he, throughout the movie, purchased from the Nazis the lives of many Jews, there's a heartbreaking scene where he looks back at his car, he looks at his gold pin, and he gets really sad and he regrets that he didn't give more of his money and more of his possessions to save more lives. See, the thing is, Schindler had used this opportunity far better than most people, that's a fact. But, in the end, He longed for a chance to go back and do even more. Church, people that don't believe in Jesus have no second chance to relive their lives, this time believing in Jesus. But here's the thing. Christians also, we also get no second chance to live life over, this time doing more for the gospel. Friends, we have one brief opportunity here on earth to use our resources and to use our life to make an eternal impact. The great John Wesley said this, I judge all things only by the price they shall gain in eternity. The great C.T. Studd, the great missionary to China, India, Africa, he wrote this, Only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last church the moment after we die we will know exactly how we should have lived life on earth but god has given us his word so that we don't have to wait until we die to find out god has given us his holy spirit to empower us to live that way now invest in eternity let me finish by telling you about mr sam mr sam casino vip Millionaire property investor, Mr. Sam, always telling me that the key to happiness was getting rich and the key to getting rich was buying houses. Was Mr. Sam happy? No. His gambling addiction destroyed him. He ended up losing all his money, all his assets, all his houses. His wife and kids left him. He went bankrupt, and I haven't heard from him since. Friends, you can invest... Here in this world, but it will never guarantee results, and it will never guarantee joy. Worldly investments often promise so much, but deliver so little. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, what does Jesus say? And all else will be provided for you. If you invest in eternity... Your return is 100% satisfaction, great delighting, and pure joy. Christian, if you invest in eternity, you can be assured that the Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified and that you and I will be perfectly fulfilled. Church, let us become a people who are kingdom-minded. Let us become a people who are rich toward God and not to ourselves. Let's pray together. our loving Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for giving us Your Son who lived the perfect life that we should have lived and who died the sinner's death that we should have died. Lord, we thank You that because of Him that we can come before You now as a forgiven people. Lord, we thank You that because of Him we are now filled with your gift the holy spirit father we thank you that because of him we are now empowered to live sacrificially and intentionally for your kingdom for your glory father we repent for our self-centered living lord we repent for our ways of greed and for us trying to build our own pathetic kingdoms father we pray that in your great kindness that you would so fill us with your spirit, that that, that your kindness would lead us to repentance, that you would help us to to lift our eyes and to think about your eternity and your kingdom. Father, we pray that you would help us to to order our lives in such a way that Jesus will be made known and that people will be saved. Father, we pray that you would make us into a people that invest in people's eternal welfare. Father, we pray that you would help us to seek first your kingdom in your righteousness, living a life of trusting in you, glorifying your name, living every single day missionally and deliberately for your glory. We pray that through a new life that you would make Jesus famous. For we ask it in his great name. Amen.